Hello and welcome to Out With, the podcast that takes you beyond the headlines and beyond our borders. I'm Hallam Mohideen. Now, the British MP David Lammy hit the headlines back in February when he lashed out at celebrity reporter Stacey Dooley for apparently behaving like a white saviour. Dooley was in Africa promoting the charity Comic Relief and had posted a picture of her holding a black African child on her Instagram site. Now, the spat between the two played out on Twitter, where Lammy said he didn't question her good motives, but added that the problem with these sorts of films and photos is that it promotes tarred and unhelpful stereotypes. Now, that debate continues to rage on with everyone from Annie Lennox to Ed Sheeran weighing in. But while celebrity photo ops with African children may seem fairly harmless, another form of supposed white saviorism is perhaps more dangerous. The American missionary Rene Bach's organisation Saving His Children, Serving His Children rather, was widely lauded, especially in the American press, for her work saving malnourished children in Jinja, Uganda. However, it's since transpired that Ms. Bach has no medical training and several children have died in her so-called care. Now, a court case is currently underway as we're recording this in, in March. But while serving his children is perhaps one extreme example, there are many, many other instances of underqualified Westerners pitching up in Africa to save people potentially with devastating consequences. Now, Ryan Lato is a nurse turned freelance journalist, and he's with us now to talk about his experiences in this regard. Ryan, welcome to Out With. Welcome to the kitchen. It's great to have you with us. (laughs) Glad to be here. Now, we were chatting just earlier about this. It's called volunteerism. Just give us an outline of what this is. What is volunteerism? I guess it's the idea of rather than going on holiday to a certain destination, maybe an exotic place overseas, uh, let's say Uganda, for example, it's it's taking the opportunity, going over there and working in a capacity that maybe back home you wouldn't be allowed to work in. So you volunteer to maybe help in an orphanage or a school or a hospital in some kind of more extreme cases for the kind of opportunity to feel like you're doing good, but also at the same time you do pay to do these opportunities. So you're a tourist because you're paying, but you're volunteering to help in this hospital. So it's not as simple as just going to volunteer. You are actually paying a lot of the times for this opportunity. So you're paying for the privilege to to, to do these things. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the surface of it, you know, if these places need people working in orphanages and, you know, people need... I know that in the in the UK where we're recording this, there there are needs for care workers yeah. in uh, in our care sector, nursing homes uh, need staff. Yeah. You know, carers are uh, you know these are the kind of things I imagine would be. Um, you know, where's the harm in it if these places need um, individuals uh, working in these capacities? It's that kind of old adage, though, the fact that because we are from the West and perhaps even being white, being a privileged person to go overseas and volunteer, then we should go and do that. Whereas if you're thinking about volunteering here in the UK, that's not as sexy. That's not considered to be as great for the CV. So yeah, we need carers here. We need nurses here. We need teachers here. We need all of that. But it's better for you to go to Uganda or go to Cambodia and volunteer and help. Looks better on your CV. You get an adventure. And it kind of adds this whole idea of, you know, saving Africa or saving the developing world because you're going over there as the great savior who can, you know, help these poor people get better when actually they don't need us there. They don't need 
an unqualified 18-year-old or 25-year-old or 45-year-old go over and help. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that here. So why would you then go and do that over in Uganda? Right. I guess interesting when you think about t- to turning the tables almost. How would we feel about a bunch of... Yeah, I yeah. don't know. I mean, would you, uh, would you allow... Uh, 18-year-old Ugandan to come over to Glasgow and help in a school with no qualifications. That would never happen. So why is it allowed to happen the opposite way around is basically kind of the problem with this. Indeed. Food for thought. But it it does appear to be on the rise. Certainly when I was a long time ago now, but when I left uh, high school, there was the the, the trend was just starting to have this, you know, going on your gap year. And um, I went and took a a year abroad, but I went to a school. So I paid for the privilege to to go and sit in a French classroom and understand nothing for about three months. (laughs) Picked it up eventually, folks. Picked it up eventually. But it was, uh, you know, that was one of the experiences. And then a few years later, you know, with... Uh, there was a rally international that uh, uh, Prince, uh, what's his name? Not Prince Harry, Prince William, that where he um, almost met his, his his future wife, Kate Middleton. They were the, that was the, the gap year where you're going around uh, and then traveling the world, and then you do Asia mm-hmm. inverted commas and so on. It, it seems in, in in the last few years that this 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 volunteerism, where people are going into orphanages potentially hospitals, that seems to be a lot more popular now. Yeah, because right. I, I think people need to validate their travel now. So it seems to me that it's like a bad thing to be a tourist. So you go to, again, I mean, I've used Uganda and Tanzania as examples because they're the ones I know the best in this situation, but it's almost going to, you know, just climb Kilimanjaro isn't good enough anymore. You have to climb Kilimanjaro and help out some local kids. And I don't really know why that's become a big thing. But I think it is because everyone's maybe trying to compete so hard on their CVs, being young, trying to get that top job. Working in international development has become more sexy now as the world's opened up. So people are trying to look for these kind of solutions, but but ultimately they don't realize that what they're doing isn't helping the communities they're expecting to help. And they may well be well-meaning people. I mean, as we'll probably talk about, I've done this before myself, and you go out there with a pure heart thinking you're going to save everybody. Well, not save everybody, but you're going to help in some capacity. You're going to do some good. Yeah, exactly. But then you don't realize that actually maybe your sole presence and being there is detrimental to the whole cause itself. Okay. And you come back, you can easily say in your CV, whatever you did, no one's going to tell your next employer that actually you didn't do that much work over there. You can write whatever you want because you went to Africa or you went to somewhere else and you came back and you did some things, but no one's ever going to have any accountability for what you mm. did. And you can kind of make that up as you go along. So there's lots of freedoms in it as well. It makes your CV look great. You get a chance to travel. You know, it's an opportunity to integrate with another community. Fantastic. But there are issues along the lines with that, of people just paying to go and do that without any regulation and simply without any really need to actually be there doing that one thing they're doing. Let's talk about that because you mm. you did this. So, so I mean, you, you trained as a nurse. Yeah, yeah. So at one point, now you're a journalist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm, the I'm a journalist and I used to be a secretary <laughs> and I was terrible at it. I, I trust you were a better nurse than I was a secretary. Um, but, you know, but you also, before you fully qualified, you went out on one of these schemes yeah, on, a, I, on a medical volunteers scheme. Talk to us about that because yeah. it's um, we're seeing both sides of the coin here. Yeah. The, the the sort of the, the 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 taking part in it and then seeing the other side. Get to the other side first. Why did you uh, sign up to be a a, a volunteerist? Sure. So I eventually got in touch with an organization in Edinburgh called First Aid Africa. And for a long time, I was skeptical of the organization, as I was with quite a lot of them. Um, mainly just because I was aware of the things, especially going into nursing. You're taught a lot about international nursing and you know the implications of that. 
especially going overseas and maybe not being qualified for certain things. So you're aware of that in your training. You know, you, you realize if you're going to practice in the UK, you have to be good at this X, Y, Z. You pass codes of conduct, blah, blah, blah. That's how you become a nurse. Mm. So overseas, you have to be careful. So it's always on your radar when you're training for these things. And if you want to go and join, again, International Development, World Health Organization, or for me, MSF, that's the kind of route. You'll go and volunteer somewhere or do something. First Aid Africa, though, I looked into them a lot, researched them, and they're on the better end of that spectrum because they cared about what they were implementing and you were trained before you go. So I was in my third year nursing school, final year, at the end of basically all my placements, having worked in neurology, cardiac, surgical, all this experience, you know, you get trained up in advanced first aid, you go over there for a month and then you implement a training program. And then when we came back after training first aid, you would get certain people from that community who then become Red Cross first trained first aid trainers as well, so that when you've left, they've got somebody who continue on the training. So you're not leaving behind like you're a shonky bridge or something. No, that's exactly. Gonna, yeah, yeah. You you're know, not so a well. Donkey goes across. You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Bye bye donkey. Yeah. You know. I mean, there was okay. an implementation. There was it was regulated. Now, you know, it's good to see First Aid Africa doing so well across other countries as well. But that's where this is that can work. This model can work. You have a skill. You go over there. You implement it. And that's sort of the whole point, because there's no one in the time we were in, which is Moshi up north, there wasn't the accessibility to proper first aid training. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say Western first aid training, because we had to change a lot of what we can kind of believe to be first aid to mm. mix with the community there. And that took years to implement for the organization too. So it's not all perfect, but it was a better way to implement that idea of training, volunteering and going over to do something rather than paying to go and shadow a doctor and uh -huh. maybe actually break some kind of horrible human rights law, which I've seen okay. happen myself, you know? Uh -huh. And that's where that's where the differences for me are. So that's why I joined because I wanted to, yeah, I wanted the experience. I wanted to go ahead overseas. I wanted to be able to see that world and, and understand if I could if I could actually physically exist in that world as a nurse, you know, if I was able to and do that. And there's nothing wrong with that because we, it's, I know we're, there's nothing wrong with wanting to travel there's and not, wanting to do some gates no, no. and mean, wanting to, you know, if you're in a community, yeah. you know, Sort of doing something to 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 help that community you just need to there. Have, you just it's a difficult scenario because you just need to have distance at the same time. Right. Because you do come over as a bit of a loaded cannon. You're coming over as a potentially white Westerner privileged coming over, and even though we were only teaching first aid, people would look at us like we were doctors, and that's where the danger comes in. Huh. So we're very clear to people that we're just first aid trainers, not yeah. even implementing first aid. Yeah. And we tried to keep that separated, but you would start to see other people in other organisations. Uh, especially KCMC, which is a big hospital in Tanzania, Moshi, a lot of them would be actively involved in other people's care, even though they were with an organization that they should only be shadowing those doctors with. And that's when I first started getting aware of this difference of, you know, you're there to do a job, that's what you do. You implement it, there's a process, that's how international development works. You leave. Whereas sometimes, because there's such a gray area and the people that maybe you're helping don't know your qualifications or credentials, you can cross that gray area quite mm. easily and start getting away with stuff that normally back home you would probably end up in prison for. Right. And this is where the differences are, I think. Well, let's have a look at one of these um, one of these organizations then, because there's no shortage, you know, quick Google search of, uh, <clears throat> you know, volunteering in Africa yeah. gives you a million bajillion. Let's do it now. Volunteering <laughs> in Africa. Um, yeah. Oh, look, volunteer experience, volunteer yeah. work. Projects abroad, lots of happy children waving hands. Yeah. Excellent. So, I mean, there is no shortage mm -hmm. of uh, um, there's no shortage of scope to do to, no, to, no. to do this kind of thing. And it's not just <clears throat> Africa. I mean, this is worldwide. You could go into Cambodia, Haiti, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, uh, South America, South America, yeah. all sorts. Um, but it's the I, I guess building a, a shonky bridge or you know a terrible well yeah. that they need other people to come in and fix. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a bit different from actually interacting and intervening, I suppose, yeah. in medical care, be it psychological or actual physical. physical yeah, and. You, so, so you were in Africa for quite a while. I was, you... I was in Africa first time. I was in Tanzania first time around for one month. Uh-huh. Came back, qualified as a nurse, registered, worked in Edinburgh for um, only about seven months. And then uh-huh. I got an op- 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 position to go back to Tanzania, to Dar es Salaam, to work for a hospital called Muhimbili National Hospital. Okay. And that was a paid job by Abbott, the laboratory company, this uh-huh. kind of big private firm. But the hospital was very clever in kind of making them pay for their a&E department, so it was really well run. It was quite yeah. good, but it was the main one for the whole country. Okay. So I was there not to touch patients, never did that. As I said, I can't speak Swahili. They registered me as a nurse in Tanzania, pretty much just as a sort of show of faith, you know, like, welcome to Tanzania, we'll register you as a nurse, which is great. It means I could practice should I want to, because I have uh-huh. the qualification, but I wasn't ready. I was far too inexperienced to ever go near that level of care in an A&E department in Tanzania, right? There's no way... Yeah. I, would, I would put myself or anyone else in that position. Well, any, any department anywhere one would. Assume. Well, yeah, especially, this, you know, I mean, if you've had training, great. You know, I, I worked in cardiac emergency care. So like there was some stuff I could maybe have dealt with, but you yeah. have mentors, you have people supporting you for your early career. You don't just go. You don't just get your degree at the end of three yeah, years and then, and then oh, you're in ER. Exactly. You know I mean? It's Unless tough. you're George Clooney. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the dream. But um, I mean, essentially I was working there. I was supposed to be teaching paramedics first aid. So similar to my previous job, uh, that fell through. I did some research. I was only there for three out of the six months I was supposed to be there because I thought I'm being paid for the job that I'm not being, that I can't do. You know, the government stopped the program, so Uh I'll just go home. And it was in that time period where I started to realize when these other volunteers would come in from an organization called Work the World, that was when I started really physically seeing what was going on behind the scenes with a lot of these people who pay money to go and do this. So they were paying money and they were ending up in like a proper legit hospital. Yeah, yeah. so they, so if you, if, you, if you imagine like the kind of two worlds, so I, I was there paid, lived in the hospital compound and registered yeah. and still didn't touch patients, yeah. as it said. You worked I, within the parameters of your experience. Yeah, exactly, right. Okay. I mean, and I had the ability, I had doctors coming up to me sometimes and showing me ECGs uh, of patients who were having heart problems because they knew I used to do heart, the cardiac nursing. Yeah. And I, I just denied any qualification in that because I'm yeah. not, first of all, not a doctor. So I'm not going to diagnose your ECG. Yeah. But secondly, just because I've come from the West doesn't mean that I'm somewhat better at medicine than they are. Mm. Because a lot of those people were for master's degrees in you know, critical care studies. I was just literally in nursing for about six or seven months, but mm-hmm. I had background in first aid training. Yeah. So I wasn't there to be a nurse. So, you know, I had all that, kept my boundaries. I sat most of the time in an office and just did research, things like nursing competency, stuff we learned at uni. And helped out with a couple of things like that. And then basically got the first flight back home when my actual project fell apart and couldn't do that, yeah. which was fine. And in that meantime, people would pay something like £2,000 for a six-week holiday where you get four weeks in a hospital, then two weeks scuba diving in Zanzibar. Would come which over, sounds pretty cool. Which sounds all right. I mean, but like a kind of, you know, like a cold wind, they would blow into the department, usually wearing like harem pants or harem trousers. Yeah. And then they would, you know, confusingly shuffle around, very awkward, which is fine. We'd allocate them with a mentor, which was usually a doctor. And then there was allegations that doctors would get paid more to look after these students than they would actually look after their patients. God. 
So the problem with that then is there the cost of, well, is it worth the doctor's time actually just spending loads of time with the volunteers than it is actually with the patients they're looking after? And this hospital was rammed. I mean, like we had five uh, recess rooms. Each one had about six or seven patients crammed into it. One blood pressure machine between maybe five people. So it was a busy place to be, but it worked well. Uh-huh. The staff, Tanzanians, did an amazing job and they, they were able to hold it together. But these volunteers would come in and, and one day I saw this, this young guy second year medical student from Cambridge who, big smile on his face, goes into one of the treatment rooms and one of the nurses goes in with all this kind of, you know, surgical implements. And I think that's weird. Nurses don't do any of those kind of work here. Like, where's the doctor? But the nurse had got him to be the doctor for this case, to suture a man's laceration in his arm back okay. together again. In real language. In, uh, sorry, in less of a large cut, just a big cut. So <laughs> yeah, so the man had wanted a, him to sew up his cuts. Yeah, he tried to sew up his cut, stitches. basically. Yeah, give him some stitches, you know. And uh, when that happened, uh, I couldn't really believe it. I couldn't really imagine why you would feel so confident to just go and stitch a man's arm back together again. So I ran to the head of the, of the of the department. He told me to get rid of him. We kicked him out. He never came back again. But this kid was about, probably about, what, 19, 20? Oh, yeah, like And if you live in the UK and you do medicine, you know that you probably don't even see a hospital until about your third or fourth year of medicine. Yeah. So despite being a nurse where we'd worked from day one in different wards, different areas, surgery, theater, all this kind of stuff, he'd never seen the inside of a hospital but yeah, he wants to stick a needle in this guy's arm and suture it back together again. And it, that's where the snowball for me kind of started. That's yeah. where I started noticing that this is dangerous because although these organizations, and legally so, they're probably protected because they say, it's fine, you know, you can go along, you can do this, we'll give you a mentor, you're observational only. When you go to these hospitals, the staff aren't briefed, they don't know. So you walk in and you can easily just say, oh, I'm a doctor from Cambridge, admitting the student part, and they can do whatever you want. Yeah. And that's that's on a whole new level of, human rights abuses and Oof. malpractice that really needs to be more aware of if you choose to do these things. Um, there are other cases as well, especially surrounding HIV implementations that people just weren't following. Needle stick injury when you get poked by a syringe. Some people refuse to take it. They just became more problematic in the department at a time when you're dealing with the most busy emergency department in a country that caters for about 50 million people. You know, yeah. If they weren't there, it would be great. If yeah. they were there, they just caused so much more of a hassle. God. The worst of all is the kind of blogging as well that comes from this too. So there was a neonates unit, sorry, uh, <clears throat> pregnancy unit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people would, kids would go there as well and spend two weeks with the, the midwives and they'd write on their blogs how, you know, oh, these kids are dying and the nurses just don't care. And, you know, in Tanzania, uh, a couple of doctors told me that some people don't celebrate the birth of their child until about one year after. Yeah. You know, the, the, the rates of uh, child mortality are so low in many places that, you know, it's not considered a good idea to celebrate too much until you know the kid is healthy after yeah. birth. They deal with kids dying all the time, every yeah. single day. If they seem apathetic to that, it's because that's what they deal with every single day. You know, imagine being a human being, admitting that and seeing that every single day. And these two girls from, you know, the West or Australia or wherever, they just have this venomous opinion that all oh, the Tanzanian midwives just don't care. And we so they're looking at this to the prison yeah, of your privileged upbringing, exactly. infant mortality rates. And they're, are, you know, they're super, super low. Exactly. And they're holding their diet, these dying kids. And you're just, it's just quite sickening. Shoving it on your Instagram. Exactly. And you see the posts underwards, uh, on, under their blog post, and it's from their mum or dad being like, oh, you're such an angel. And it just, it just reeks. It just really reeks. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's not a world that I think people are aware of when they apply. And I uh. don't think it's a world that people are aware of even when they go out there and they come back home mm. because no one's pulling them aside and saying, why were you doing that? Why were you there? What yeah. was, what, what did you do? You know, did you just shadow 
or did you touch these patients? Because if you did, and somebody in the UK knows that, you should never get a job as a doctor or nurse over here. No. Because you wouldn't be able to do that here. Well, no, because I was just thinking, you know, with the image of, you know, one of the busiest A&E wards in the country. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, I don't spend much time in A&E wards in the <laughs> UK. But, you know, <clears throat> even I know that they're busy places to be. Yeah. And there is, they're quite urgent places to be. And a lot of people are in life and death. And yeah. Just the thought of a bunch of people in harem pants <laughs> <laughs> with henna tattoos going, yeah. woo, yeah. just got back off my kite surfing lesson. Do you want me to stitch you up? I, honestly, it, it just fills me with horror. Yeah, it fills me with absolute horror. It, are there no safeguards in place with these, with these organizations? I mean, the, there must be some. The safe, I, I just the find this staggering. Uh, to be honest with you, I think it's easy to go down the route of condemning the organizations themselves. I know they profit from it, and I imagine you know that's been their business for a long time. It, there has to be a better conversation between the organization that sends these kids out there and the hospitals that take them in, because that's where the problem is. I mean, these people came along, and we had four or five of them when I was there. We got kind of drafted in with a bus by this very nice man, but he was the, he was the local kind of fixer for them. And he just seemed like he was a lovely guy, but he's the kind of guy you would maybe go for a beer with or like hang out at the beach with. Yeah. You know, he was like a fun uh, holiday rep type character. He wasn't a doctor. He'd never known the hospital. So basically, there was no communication. It didn't feel like the medical world was involved in this. It felt like the tourism world was. Mm. They get dropped off at a hospital. We had to allocate mentors for these kids. But it's an A&E department. Mm. It's not like it's uh, every day is the same. So it was hard to keep up with what they were doing, yeah. making sure they weren't you know, touching patients from just moving getting stuff. in the way. Literally just kind of getting in the way, you know. And although, I, you know, many people might say, well, you know, Ryan, you're obviously a hypocrite because you went and did this yourself. We did actually do something in terms of training first aid in high schools to make first aid responders in the town then leave. And yeah. First Aid Africa, uh, not to give them too much PR, but they do operate independently in these countries now. You know, they, they actually have their own First Aid Africa, Tanzania and Uganda and, and all this kind of thing, you know? So that's And the they will employ point. local people yeah, as they, well. Yeah, exactly. They now predominantly only employ local people. So you can still volunteer, but they, that's not the biggest part of the organization okay. anymore. Okay, because here, here's my thing. So with, with these organizations that are, you know, I can understand why a young student would want to sign up to one of these things. <clears throat> Because there are good intentions behind it. You yeah. want to try, you want to help people out. I mean, otherwise, why would you put yourself through medical school if you don't want to help people? Yeah. Um, I can understand um, why you would want to, to, to go somewhere a bit more exotic, get mm. a bit of travel in. I have traveled widely. Yeah. I think it's great. It broadens your horizons. I don't think it's a bad idea. So I can understand what they're getting out of it. These companies who are like, you know, charging a few thousand pounds a head, clearly getting a bit out of it. Yeah. What do the hospitals and the locals get out of it? Nothing, really. I mean, they get... <laughs> just a bunch of people <laughs> just a in bunch of people sarongs, through, yeah. like get, getting under food yeah. near the x-ray machine. I mean, I, I had my own kind of mental battle with that too when I was over there on the project. I was working, this is in Tanzania in, in Muhambili National Hospital. Oh. My project got canned as a first aid trainer. So I was there being paid... Admittedly, by a, not by the hospital, but by the company that pays for the hospital's A&E department. Mm. And I was kind of thinking, why am I here? You know, I could easily just stay here and, you know, rinse off this paycheck and, you know, float around and pretend to be, you know, great doctor. But I'm okay. not any of those things. So I got out of the country. Okay. I think they just, people come over and they, they don't realize that they're there literally as voyeurs. They're just there watching suffering yeah. at probably the most immense levels you can imagine. Huh. So they can just go home and brag about it and put it on their CV. And it, it kind of smells of that a lot. 
And I don't blame them because I get it. I understand coming through that whole process. You want to see that. And I have a you know very strong interest. I wanted to join MSF. I'd still love to as like a comms officer or something like that. That'd be yeah. great. But that's why I moved from nursing to journalism was because I realized that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to capture those moments as a journalist. As a nurse, it's a very different world. It is. You're not going there as a voyeur. You're going there to physically help. You need the skills. You need the ability. You need the mental strength to handle that. And it was bad enough even just being in the hospital and seeing stuff, never mind being the one who physically was involved yeah. with what you know was going on around you at all times. So no, no, no the, the communities don't benefit at all. Where they do benefit is from, again, the other side of the coin, organizations that try to implement things. And I think this is a conversation that we need to have like, across the board because it's so easy to say white saviorism is terrible. But it's also, that ties into the whole kind of idea of aid is the worst thing we've done, which is very true. Uh, Dambisa Moyo's book, Dead Aid, is a good example of that, where aid has caused more issues in countries like Uganda over the last few years than actually having you know, helped them. But at the same time, those two things can become complicated and complex. You mm. still need people to go over if they have the skills and assist in certain areas. Uh, but you don't need somebody paying three grand to go and poke at a kid in a hospital bed and then blog about it. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up MSF um, because in a way there are kind of parallels with journalists. A good friend of mine actually worked for, two of them actually, uh, worked for MSF. Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, you see Médecins Sans Frontières, you know, mm -hmm. like, awesome, you know. Yeah, I want to I want to volunteer with them, I want to <laughs> help them. And I, I too was just thinking, I would love to help. I want to help out. Yeah, I want yeah. to be part of this. It's sexy, sure. yeah, yeah. it's traumatic. They do good, you know, they're like the kind of gold standard and yeah. you know, worthiness or whatever. And I went on their website to you know, see how can I volunteer with MSF. And I, it was it was actually quite good. said, you know, do you have medical skills? No. <laughs> Send us some money. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have, if you do have medical skills, we are looking for psychotherapists yeah. here. We're looking for this person here. And there's a lot more to MSF than just heading out to Afghanistan uh, before the B-52s go over it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, you know, they, their work is very, very widespread. Yeah. But it, interesting enough, one part of the most important work that they do is on the, the press and comm side of yeah, it. Yeah, massively, yeah. So it's... Uh, it, but even so, the the thing that, that, that they were very clean, this was oh, this a good 15, 20 years ago. Um, at that time, they were very, very keen to say, if you want to help us and you are not a qualified, you know, field doctor, nurse in this, that, the next thing, blah, yeah. blah, blah, send us some money. That's the best way to help us out, yeah. you know. And then, you know, if we really need someone who's super good at juggling or whatever, then we can employ someone in this, you know, a local person in this area who will do that. So um, it's so the money is the thing that oftentimes these, these organizations yeah. need a lot more than, you know, but you're drawn to the danger of it in, in the same way that a lot of journalists think I would be a war reporter because that's like super sexy and this is like, oh, the drama, the drama. But in actual fact, a lot of the, the, the sexiest reporting now Believe it or not, it's business journalism. Yeah, I finance journalism. Yeah, and it's yeah. just, you know, and I... <laughs> Data journalism. I wish I were better at it. Yeah. Write I... more paychecks. But um, <laughs> it, it's not, and it's it, it, it's interesting, these perceptions. And perception is a big part of it, you know. it's a, There are good intentions behind it. There are good intentions behind it. But if it's not harnessed in a way that is actually helping the people... Yeah you are supposed to be helping, then I guess it's 
it does more harm than good. And I would come a bit, maybe a bit more left field, and I debate this one myself too, but the good intention side is debatable sometimes too, I think, because you're given a package. You're not, you're not told that, you know, okay, you're now qualified as a nurse. You have five years experience. You can join MSF. You've worked towards this. You've got your degree in, in a tropical medicine. You know, you go ahead and, or diploma in tropical medicine. You know, you go ahead, you do this, you're trained. That's good intentions. Putting in the hours, putting in the work, that's a good intention. You know, you realize, mm -hmm. okay, I can do this. I'm skilled. Whether it is a nurse doctor, comms officer, logistician, whatever they need, or for any organization, any job on the planet, you need to be qualified to do the job in some respect. Yeah. With this, it's more, as I said, voyeuristic, but it's also packaged with, oh, you can also go scuba diving afterwards or, you know, go on a trek across, yeah. you know, the Sahara and have a great time. And they feed as well into a lot of projects. Well, it's that, of, it's that drawing a certain type of person then, But it is, yeah. It's, it's just, just go on holiday. I think that's, <laughs> you know. There's nothing wrong with being a tourist, folks. There's nothing wrong folks. with just going on holiday. And I think that's the problem with it a lot of the time. People don't really see it. They think it's a great opportunity. And yeah, maybe they think rather naively they're going to help out. But if you if you studied medicine and, and nursing, at what point did anybody in your classes say, oh, if you're not qualified, though, you can go and help out in Africa. Yeah. You know, that's never going to be taught to you. So where does that come from? That's not a good intention. That's something else. Something is maybe, as I said, voyeuristic or just an adventurous part of you. But then there's nothing wrong with just going on holiday. Yeah. You but know. these organizations, they are recruiting students. Are they they not? recruit students And they're recruiting yeah, medical yeah. students. Yeah. I mean, like we had a couple, even in our uh, in our classes, they would come in, uh, you know, be like five minutes at the end of the lecture and they'd come in and hand out flyers and stuff. And it'd be like, you know, come to Venezuela, then, you know, go I don't know, swimmer sharks or something like that. It was always sold in that way, you know. So and, are your lectures saying? Because I, I don't understand. I mean, it, it sounds a bit on the distasteful side. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. And so why would it be tolerated by an educational establishment? Because I think a lot of the educational establishments think it's a great thing for your CV, you know? So it's sort of like, you go ahead, you've got this opportunity and, and predominantly that's what they want, right? They want you to come back or, you know, when you've done with your degree and be employed. And it's yeah. a great way to go out there. And, you know, there's universities with societies surrounding this stuff. It's not like it's so, so separated from the university world. But, but the stories will filter back, will they not? Of um, like, Because there, there is that, you know, the, the example that I cited at the beginning. Mm. The, and I don't want to go into it too much because there is a, a, an active court case, yeah, debate, yeah. albeit in Uganda. But the uh, Renee Bach, yeah. she's a missionary. Basically, yeah, yeah, she was but 18. She, yeah. You know, but, you know, she, she, she's going out there, you know, setting up a, just an orphanage or something, but, you know, practicing medicine when she's clearly not had any medical training. Yeah. And children have died doing that. And mm -hmm. this is, is kind of in, in, in the same sort of vein. You know, young Westerners heading out to uh, African countries or South American countries mm -hmm. and pitching up and oftentimes you know, doing things which are not qualified to do. Why are responsible educational establishments tolerating this? Again, I think it's just because it makes you so employable. I mean, you can go over there. It also makes the universities look good as well. You know, like it's the same narrative that missionaries had in the 1800s. Send people over there, fix Africa, fix South America, help people out. And then you come back and then, you know, you, you can kind of mix your skills with what you've learned at uni and maybe be, you know, implemental with your new job. And even admittedly, NHS Scotland did run a program where they tried to send nurses to other countries to learn from their, uh, you know, resourcefulness in many places. So yeah. if you were to go to an a &E department in Uganda, you'd probably learn a lot more about wastefulness than you would do 
in one in Edinburgh, right? Because there's so few resources. Huh. That was a good project. It got canned, but it was a good project because nurses actually, qualified nurses came back and they realized there was way, different ways to do things without spending hundreds so of So we're learning of from the Africans. Yeah, basically, yeah. I mean, there was hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of uh, you know equipment we were wasting or throwing yeah. away when actually it could be used in different ways. So there's, huh. you know, that's that's a good way to look at so it. So there is space for these kind of collaborations. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the way it should be done, but yeah. you can't just pay someone money, go into a hospital and then sneakily get away with essentially causing malpractice. Okay. You know, I mean, you think about all these cases of doctors. I mean, the one recently where the doctor tried to, was he not putting his own initials into somebody's kidney God. and stuff like that, you know? And that was in the UK. That was in the UK, yeah. yeah. And that's a scandal. But if that's happening unregulated across the world in these hospitals that, you know, are not on our register and not yeah. on, you know, and the governments get, you know, they seem to be okay with taking the money, allowing this practice to happen because there's no way an organization like Work the World or Projects Abroad could exist without government approval. Right. So there must be some kind of collusion there as well. It's money. It, it pays. And it's at the cost, the great cost, not only the healthcare services of that country and the development of that country, but also at the same time, just it's a great cost to the patient. Crikey. So at the end of the day, it's the patients who are paying for this. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. Right. Jinx. <laughs> but I think, I think on a positive note, though, the good thing about these kind of, I mean, the Stacey Dooley thing as well, all this stuff raises a good point of, you know, what is aid now? You're like, what is charity work? What does it mean? And there are other things that are changing across, especially in Uganda, where I worked um, as a freelancer for, for a short period of time, where the Rennie back thing was kind of breaking and, and looking mm. into that. There are some amazing people going over there with data skills, coding skills, really revolutionizing the way that Uganda's infrastructure works with these different skills, skills that are actually becoming more abundant in this kind of digital world, especially in Uganda. In Uganda. I mean, people are learning this stuff online. There's so much more information there's ways to start businesses by just using your phone. You know, there's loads of kind of new innovative things that are changing the economy and the healthcare services without, you know, missionaries going over there and doing the old adage of, I worked in a hospital and I'm a great person. Yeah. So there, there is stuff you can do, like learn a skill, use that skill, hone that skill. If it's useful here, it's probably going to be useful anywhere else in the world as well. You know, and that's the best way to do this. Don't assume that just because you have the money to pay for it, then that's great. Then you know more. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it's excellent that example you gave of the Scottish nurses being sent to, is it Uganda? To well, I, I wasn't, I don't know where it was, just, it was somewhere in I was, Africa. I just yeah. that's right, because it, it, at the end of the day, it, that part of the, I think the issue that, that I, I don't want to speak on behalf of David Lamy, but um, his issue was that it's perpetuating these, these tropes. Yeah. Yeah. The white man knows best. The Westerner can fix this. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 people in the the third world. I yeah. don't know. We don't use that expression anymore. Uh, but you know, they need our help if they're to get out of this mess. But in actual fact, that is so far from the truth. So, is there a bit of perception work that you think we need to work on when it comes to how we well, how we think about aid, how we think about training, how we think about the world around us? Yeah. And massively. I mean, I think people look at African countries, um, even Uganda. I went over there to do a documentary and I remember speaking to some of my uh, kind of professors at uni and they were like, oh no, is that not a dictatorship? Because they'd seen the last King of Scotland and they thought that that was still <laughs> happening. You know, and you're like, no, it's, I mean, okay, arguably you could, you could argue one or the other about Miss Ebony was in charge, but I mean, it's not Idi Amin. It's not, you know, that time anymore. And that, that idea we have of these countries, oh, I need to go away to you know, Tanzania because of, you know, horrible things. That Do have they happened. have planes? Yeah, right. I mean, like you're flying in. So yeah, 
mean, it's just <laughs> the, the, that notion of it. You know, this dirt road, miserable place, everyone's starving. It's just not true. Yeah. Um, and yeah, right, there's poverty and abundance, but there's poverty in Glasgow. There's poverty in Edinburgh. For sure. And there's, you, you, as I said, if your skills are useful here, then yeah, maybe they're useful overseas. Yeah. When you're training in something, maybe that's not the time to start going away abroad and, you know, helping yeah. in a hospital. You know, and admittedly, I had arguments of people who were even building schools and building wells. And I'm like, but you can't build that here. You know, unless it's Lego, I'm not really too sure how you're going to, you know, what are you going to do there? And, you know, how are these kids going to get to the school? What are you going to feed them for lunch? What's the curriculum? Yeah. None of these things are thought about. So lots of things for, well, for us to work on as individuals, I guess. I, I mean, there's no harm in wanting to do some good, but you have to be able to do it in do good in a responsible way where, yeah. where help is I guess needed and appreciated yeah exactly and it's again it's just about being being responsible for your own actions and understanding your limits as well just because you know I'm not saying you shouldn't go on these projects or admittedly I probably am but I'm not saying you shouldn't go on these projects if that's what you truly want to go and do but just go and watch don't touch anything yeah. don't get involved don't in, set a leg don't yeah exactly don't try and you know suture somebody's arm back together again yeah, it's, no. yeah. But there's nothing wrong with travel. I, I, there's, no, there's nothing I'm, wrong with travel. You I'm know? a big fan of mm -hmm. tourism, I have to say. As well, we, we, were in, we were in Uganda. We were looking into the oil developments they found there. And there's a town called Hoima, which is uh. on the west side of Uganda. And everyone there was like, yeah, right, oil's great. It'll bring in some money. But they were like, tourism. You know, we're just bringing some tourism. It's near some of the most beautiful parks in the country. People for go sure. there for saris, uh, safaris. Mm. Um, you know, invest in that. And it, it, tourism's a, a powerful tool because it doesn't go away once yeah. you have it. So Absolutely. just go travel, like have fun. Don't go travel, <laughs> spend some money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Spend the money, do mm -hmm. it. Um, I'm a big fan of travel. I'm a big fan of holidays. And I'm certainly planning to go on a few more. I'm going to do my bit, Brian. I'm yeah. going to do <laughs> yeah. my Oh, yeah. Bit. I mean, you save the world by going on holiday. That sounds all right Absolutely. to me. Absolutely. <laughs> what brilliant plan. We should get T-shirts with that on it. Um, Brian, just before we, we wrap this up, mm. you know, any last thoughts, I guess, if there's, you know, something that you wanted people to take away from this, you know, discussion, you know, don't people thinking, oh, God, I'm a horrible person because of what's no, going on here. No. Um, what, what would you, what, final thoughts for, for listeners of this podcast? Just be sceptical. If you if you want to pay £2,000 to go to a hospital or go abroad, you know, why, why is the organisation sending you there? You know, what, what do they have to gain from you being there? Is, is this just a ploy to have you over there so they get money? You know, look into the organisations. A lot of the times, if they want you to fundraise for it, that's probably a better option than it is just paying up front because the fundraising covers the cost of the charity's actual work. And make sure it's a charity as well. That's a huge distinction. Yeah. Work the World will openly admit, and I've contacted them too, that they are not a charity. They don't implement any medical procedures on anybody. And that's fine. That's, that's their right to say that because they don't. But if you go with an organization like that, you can do whatever you want a lot of the time. So learn your limits. Understand that, you know, if you go over there and people are offended by you being there, they're more than likely, they're more than right to do so. But also at the same time, you know, be qualified and travel's fine. <laughs> you know, just... <laughs> travel is absolutely travel fine. Travel is fine. And yeah. I, as a, a scuba diver myself, I heartily recommend scuba diving. <laughs> um, lots of food for thought there, Ryan. Thank you so much. And you can find uh, more uh, of Ryan's work. Uh, Ryan does quite a bit of writing, working on a, a, a documentary as yeah, well. Yeah. It's work in progress very much so. Um, Ryan's website is ryanlatto.com or you could follow him on Twitter, Ryan underscore Latto. And of course, you can follow the out with team we are on facebook instagram and twitter do get in touch with us hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts 
and hope to hear from you all very, very soon. Bye for now.